0: Until the end of the 19th century, medicine, mostly in the West, and actually probably or more around the world, was humoral. So it, it was thought of in terms of balances and imbalances of elements within right. the organism and the relationship between the organism and the environment. That's, and, that, uh-huh. and what medicine could do for 2,000 years. I mean, medicine first started to be medicine in the 4th century BCE. And, you know, basically what medicine tried to do was literally support and encourage the natural power of healing. That's mm-hmm. that's what they could do. That's what they thought they should do. You know, and that was why medicine was considered to be an art. And it was considered to be an art of supporting the way that people live.
1: This is the Made for Living Well
0: podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well lived.
1: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Made for Living Well. My name's Alexa. Now Today we're talking about healing and the powers of healing, not just in this woo-woo kind of way, but I think we diminish how powerful our bodies are and how capable they are of doing great work. The problem is we don't always believe healing is possible, at least not internally. Right? That leaves us on this external goose chase to find the right things that might work for our system. But on my own healing journey, which, if you've stuck around for any period of time, you know I crashed and burned while doing all the right things. And I had to learn the hard way that my job was not to change my body, but learn how to support it so that it could do the job that it was designed. And that means to heal. But even in the midst of that healing process, I also had to recognize that I was not just the diagnosis that I was labeled with. And that's exactly what our guest is going to talk about today as he was diagnosed with some pretty life-altering, life-threatening diagnosis and how he kind of got rid of those labels that he refused to let be his death sentence and he started to learn how to heal. So today on the show, I welcome a guest to talk about who's written a book about healing called On Learning to Heal. His name is Ed Cohen. Ed has a PhD in modern thought from Stanford and has been an award-winning professor at Rutgers University. He encourages his students to reflect critically on things they often assume to be self-evident about themselves and asks them to consider whether there are more possibilities for who they can become than they currently imagine. Besides working as a professor, Ed has his own therapy practice where you can learn more at healingcounsel.com. Again, that's healingcounsel.com. And while you're there, check out his book on learning to heal. Make sure you check out Ed at healingcouncil.com. And don't forget to head to the show notes at thelivingwell.com where I discuss more about my healing journey and how I use similar practices to help my body, my mind, and my soul heal. You can find all of that again at livingwell.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for the weekly fill. Okay, that's it for now. Let's get right to the show and welcome Ed. Welcome to the show, Ed. I'm excited to have you on and share your journey, which is, I think, a journey that a lot of us can learn from uh, because it offers so much hope and inspiration. So welcome to the show. Oh, Thanks,
0: Alexa. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to start with your journey. You wrote a whole memoir on learning to heal. Can you just talk about like the the power of the body and what you learned from your own experience of and in some ways coming alongside of it to see outside of your problems? And you had quite the story, you know, like you could have assumed that was your death sentence and that could have been it, you know, but at some point you made that switch to realize there was more
0: yes Alexa yeah uh, that that transformation you know was very striking really because I had been diagnosed at such an early age you know and I really were depending on my doctors as the those who were supposed to know mm-hmm. like that we took what they said and we accepted it as you know the truth right. the truth right. and you know what i subsequently came to understand you know especially i wrote a whole book uh before this book on the history of immunology and how the idea of immunity even came to be a medical concept because it was originally for 2000 years a, le- a legal and political concept mm. and why did suddenly at the end of the 19th century did it right. become a biological concept, and how does that metaphor?
1: Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure, of course. Sorry, not to interrupt you, but yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, no, I th- you know I think a lot about this, like especially like in relationship to COVID, for example, in relationship yeah. to infectious diseases, um, you know, where we were you know constantly bar- you know barraged with the idea that our immune systems are supposed to defend mm-hmm. us against attacking mm-hmm. uh, microorganisms that are potentially pathological. Um, And, you know, that is actually a really relatively new way of conceptualizing what infectious diseases were. Um, Until the end of the 19th century, uh, medicine mostly in the West and actually probably or more around the world was humoral. So it, it was thought of in terms of balances and imbalances of elements within the organism and the relationship between the organism and the environment. That's, and that, Uh and what medicine could do for 2000 years. I mean, medicine first started to be medicine in the fourth century BCE, And, you know, basically what medicine tried to do was literally support and encourage the natural power of healing. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what they could do. That's what they thought they should do, you know, and that was why medicine was considered to be an art. And it was considered to be an art of supporting the way that people live. Like your entire yeah. life was at stake. In the end of the nineteenth century, <clears throat> a variety of uh, different kinds of technological and uh, and I'm going to epistemological knowledge uh, developments. Uh, what we now understand as germ theory came into being when bacteriologists like Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch. Uh, basically were able to use the new visualization techniques of microscopy and staining techniques to isolate uh, yeah. you know, bacteria under the microscope and to correlate those bacteria with the symptoms of certain kinds of diseases. So cholera was like the first one that they developed. And, and the theory, you know, was very um, persuasive, especially because cholera epidemics like the covid epidemic there were many many cholera epidemics through the 19th century in europe and yeah they were very devastating so you know so the idea that was that there were these pathogenic microbes that surrounded us and that that you know they could attack us and that you know we would get sick the problem with that theory was that if there are pathogenic microbes in our environment and they're all around us why are we not sick all the time
1: right (laughs) like why are we alive? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there was a zoologist named Ellie Metchnikoff, who in 1883 did a very you know simple and yet very famous experiment, um, and he was the person who kind of decided that when an organism is attacked, that it has to have some form of defense. What you call the host defense,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and he then took a concept. That was a a legal concept that had been used, you know, in various kinds of ways of thinking about cholera, immunity. And he put that together with the idea of host defense and he created the concept that we now have as immunity as defense. Now, the problem with that concept is that it's actually internally contradictory because, in legal terms, if you're immune from something, Mm -hmm. you don't have to defend yourself, right? Like immunity guarantees. But uh, and if you have to defend yourself, you're not immune. But he created this kind of contradictory concept: immunity as host defense, and that he was immediately hired by Louis Pasteur and, and swooped up and taken into the Pasteur Institute because that concept made it possible to understand germ theory in a way that that allowed people to understand germs can be pathogenic, but there is a response. And basically, that model is what we continue to hold yeah. both, both scientifically, both medically and popularly. I mean, so that's why like the COVID epidemic, when, you know, like when people were saying the virus is an agent, we're having a, I mean, an agent, the virus is an enemy. The virus is not an enemy. The virus is a, a weird paradoxical particle. It's neither animate nor inanimate. It doesn't move by itself. Yes. You know, we carry it, we transmit it. You know? So yeah. But our whole thinking about what was happening on an individual level and at a collective level, you know, was informed by this set of understandings that medicine had propagated. Yeah. And, you know, and I think in general, that's, that's true. It's like medicine is a human science and it not only gives us technologies that are resourceful, off you know, and helpful. And I mean, I would be dead without them, so I'm not. But it gives us kinds of meanings for our experience that may be inappropriate or too limited. So like what you were saying before about um, medicine uh, focuses on problems. Like that's literally, like when you go to the doctor, what they say is like, what is the presenting Mm -hmm. problem? Like that's Mm -hmm. how they frame it. And then what they're looking for is a diagnosis. Like we're going to put you in a category Mm -hmm. as if like my experience of Crohn's and every other person who gets Crohn's have some commonality, which is, is not the case. I mean, there are obviously commonalities in terms of certain kinds of, you know, molecular, subatomic, cellular, you know, hormonal processes. Yes, that's true. But like why some people <clears throat> get certain symptoms at a certain point in their life, like other people, you know, right, you know, get them at different points in their lives and, <clears throat> You know, why some people who have the same kinds of genetic predispositions don't get anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, which is also true. You know, like, that's why I like to use COVID as an example, because it's so recent and so obvious. Like, <clears throat> people can be exposed to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, right? Some people, nothing happens. Right. Does it? Some people, the virus actually reproduces in their bodies, and they, but they're asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Some people get a little flu. Mm-hmm. Some people... Get you know different organs affected. You know not you know the lungs, the mm-hmm. kidneys, the heart, the brain, the toes. Mm-hmm. Right. Some people get you know super sick, and then they have these you know uh, secondary processes, what are called cytokine storms, where the immune system actually then overreacts. Or, yeah. I mean, no, that you know has a hyperreaction. that becomes deleterious. Mm-hmm. Some people get long COVID. They recover, but they you know, the symptoms continue or symptoms continue to manifest in different ways. Some people die. Mm -hmm. Now, how, how do we understand that as one disease? Uh Like how is all of that COVID? Like the idea that you can name something and say that this is the problem the Mm -hmm. cause of the problem is this viral agent. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: you know, all we have to do is address Ways of dealing with the viral agent, and, and we'll have a solution. Mm-mm, that's not happening. A, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. B, that's not. You know, that's not the cause. The cause is really complicated. The cause has to do with how did that virus get transmitted? You know, mm-hmm. it. You know, if there, were, if global capitalism hadn't developed these supply chain, you know, uh, issues that caused people to fly around the world constantly there wouldn't have been the kinds of transmissions that yeah. we have if we had, you know, universal health care, you know, or we had, you know, better facilities for all people Then the frontline workers or the people, you know, who have to put themselves at risk in order to uh, make our economy go wouldn't have had to like sacrifice their lives. If hospitals had not been worried about making a profit or, you know, saving money, they would have had personal protective equipment ready in case Mm -hmm. there was something that happens. Right. So when we say that the cause of something is a particular agent, and then we create a diagnosis and say, this is the problem. What happens is that we just, it's like we put on blinders.
1: Yeah. right. Right. Like
0: it's like we, we look here and sometimes where we're looking is a good place to look. But the thing is that it's always a narrow perspective. There's a whole field yeah. of peripheral vision that we have just cut out. And and basically that's what my book is about. It's like, there's whole aspects that in the way that medical, you know, knowledge focalizes, it occludes and disregards and often disrespects,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: other forms of, practice that can encourage and support healing. And, and my experience is that there are a lot of very powerful other modalities and, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not disrespectful to medicine, you know, to recognize that it's our illness. <clears throat> it's yeah. not their illness. They can give name, but yeah. it's our experience. Illness is an experience. It's our experience. And, and we have the capacity to participate in different kinds of ways. So that's why like my basic definition of healing, what I say is healing represents our capacity as living organisms to enhance the quality of our life in the conditions in which we are living. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we always live in circumstances, which are relatively limited. Some of us are way more privileged than others and have a lot more resources. Some of us are less so, Mm -hmm. but even in less privileged circumstances, how we participate. I mean, of course I, I, would hope that people would have more resources, that everybody should have more access to resources. But the idea is that wherever we are, we can start from wherever we are, right? Right, right. And that, you know, and that we can become more than we are Mm -hmm. at any moment. Mm -hmm. And healing, you know, represents that capacity for me. And healing is really different (laughs) than curing. Like a lot of people want to be cured.
1: Yeah, right, right.
0: right you know, we, we have symptoms and, you know, basically we want someone to take them away. <laughs> I mean, that's what curing means. It means like, I want to go back to what I was before these symptoms impeded my life in some mm-hmm. way. And, you know, and I want that not to, I want that whole experience not to have happened. That's, you know, and right. I think that that's a really um very, what am I going to say? I was going to say limited or disrespectful model. It's disrespectful to us in the sense of, No, you know what, whatever, well, it makes us fragile, but it also discounts the fact that we're going through an experience. And one of the things about going through an experience is we have the capacity to learn from that, Mm -hmm. like that, you know, illness is about how we live. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it can challenge us to develop ways to learn to live otherwise. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those ways of living otherwise really will change our entire way of being in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and also, you know, the idea that uh, somehow we, uh, you know, we can eternally go on living, you know, that we can be cured of everything. I mean, like one of the things I say to people and they get really kind of tweaked out a little bit sometimes But, you know, sometimes dying can be healing,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, that, I mean, in fact, you know, one of my teachers says this thing, which I think is incredible. Uh, She says, well, look, death is going to come for all of us at some point, but when Mm -hmm. it comes for you make sure you're as alive as you possibly can be. Mm, Yeah. And I'm just like, I mean, that to me, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that is, that is so amazing in terms of thinking about how I want to live my life and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, like my friends, you know, like, I mean, I've been through a lot of death, my, you know, my own near death, and other people's deaths. And I have witnessed people who in their, you know, the, their process of dying actually are transformed. Yeah. You know, are, you know, can let go of, Whole burdens that they've carried their entire lives, mm-hmm. whole mistaken ways of thinking about themselves, whole lies that they've told themselves about who they are, and can be freed from that. You know, yeah. and you know, I'm not. I'm not advocating people should you know die. Um,
1: right, <laughs> but right, <anyway>. but, <laughs> but it,
0: but it does. It changes.
1: Is, it changes what I feel like the the Western scope of medicine has taught us is almost to fear that point and.
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, so much of health is how long can I live? And instead of looking at, but what is the quality of the life lived, which to me is more important than the number of years that we can withstand. Because even when you talk about, you know, when you're talking about what happened in medicine prior to the switch with immunology is like we were looking for a state of balance and, you know, I get the argument of, but our, our lifespan has increased, but has our quality increased or have we gotten a little bit more, you know, how many people in this world and are living strapped to medicine? And again, I, I use medicine, you know, like, but how many of us that is our life because we know no other option and what quality of life is there with that? I don't know. I just like how you brought in, you know, like the the whole aspect of regaining some like medicine used to be about creating that balance inside your body of, of the art of healing in a way.
0: Well, exactly. Exactly. That, uh, That medicine, you know, before they became the science of medicine, medicine was like the art of healing. That was the, Mm -hmm. and even, you know, and it is the case, obviously we have increased lifespans. We've decreased certain kinds of mortality and morbidity, but we've also increased certain kinds of mortality and morbidity, like, you know, chronic illnesses. I mean, of course, you know, people like me probably would have been dead already, but, uh, but, you know, we have all of these things that, that never were persistent problems before. And especially, you know, kinds of, you know, like type two diabetes, or, I mean, there's all of these things that have developed, you know, partly as not a result of medicine, but as a result of the way that we live in the world, you know, in part, you know, supported by the kinds of ideas that medicine has, uh, you know, disseminated about what it means to be a living being in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, you know, before the science, you know, medicine became scientific, you know, it's interesting because public health in the 19th century, which was organized around how people live. So adequate water, sewage, housing, food, right. That was like actually the first big bump in increasing lifespan was actually addressing how people live. And the shift that happened was instead of thinking about, how people live collectively and understand that Mm -hmm. like community, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that collective living is part of our ability to, uh, to live vital flourishing lives. The corollary of the bacteriological immunological revolution in medicine Mm -hmm. was to focus the concern with illness on the individual body, right? Mm-hmm. So rather than thinking about how our our relations to each other as being really important aspects of who we are, it really locked us into this idea like we're in, in a kind of skin envelope, you yeah, know, and everything that has to do with our health and well-being is inside our epidermis and everything outside is just you know, sort of secondary, not, you yeah. know, essential. Um, and I think that that is a mistake. I mean, it's just, and it's just biologically not true. Like, again, just to use COVID as an example, like what I always say to people, any kind of infectious, you know, disease shows this, but, but COVID, because it was such a big global event, you know, uh, you know, it, it demonstrates that the idea that we're individuals who are separated from the world and separated from each other, it's biologically counterfactual. Mm. Like we, we are connected to each other. And one of right. like at the very beginning of the COVID epidemic, if you remember, like when we were asked not to touch each other, yeah, yeah, and how <laughs> freak how freaky that was, and uh-huh. why was that freaky? Because you know what, we touch each other all the time.
1: Yeah, that's
0: right. yeah, you know, and you know, and even the word contagion, it mm-hmm. means touching together,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: <laughs> so you know, one of, you know, this is, I mean, this is, of course, one of my hobby horses, but you know, I do think, you know, the other part of a healing, my healing journey was really understanding how being with others in support of healing, who desire healing and create Mm. a a context, a value context in which healing is important, right? Mm. That we make it a priority when we do it together, that supports and encourages us because our culture does not support that. Our culture tells us the most important thing of when you're sick is to get better and to go back to work. Yeah. Like that's, right. <clears throat> yeah. Goffman, a very famous sociologist says, <clears throat> you know, the sick role is to get better so you can uh-huh. go back to work. Yeah. Right. And it's like, no, well, what if, what if like healing is about maybe I'm learning something from this experience and maybe that's, that is a form of productivity.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: maybe I'm becoming a bigger person. And I can then as a result, do things in the world that I couldn't have done before. And maybe part of that is because I'm learning how to be with other people in ways where we can collectively do things, you know, that, that support and encourage us. So even like your podcast, for example, I mean that even now that there are all of these, you know, venues where people are trying to develop connections with others to share, you know, Mm -hmm. these different perspectives. I think, you know, we have to Mm -hmm. understand that that is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, And that itself is healing. It's in support, you know, it's in support and encouragement of the value of healing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love that interdependence because I think in my own healing journey, I, I recognized that this was not just a battle of my body, but it was also the emotional connections that were maybe- hurt or you know it was it was this emotional aspect and you, can, you could say the psychological aspect but then there's the whole spiritual aspect of it as well of like recognizing that we are more than just a body staying alive uh-huh. <laughs> you know like we yeah, we absolutely. have our whole system and we are here <clears throat> to work together and that role is Lifting each other up, but like you said, it, that's really difficult in the world that we live in because we're so fear-based and almost taught to be this independent human who doesn't ask for help, and that's the ideal role. So how do you how do you show someone or like can you give us a vision of what does this look like to not see health as this end destination that you're cured, but to to really go on this healing kind of journey to learn how to heal? <clears throat> What does that look like? Mm-hmm. I suppose it's different for so, everyone too, but just some overarching yeah. ideas.
0: Right. So, so <clears throat> I wrote this book yeah, on learning to heal, or what medicine doesn't know, not because I'm trying to disrespect medicine by right, anything.
1: right, right, yeah.
0: But you know, basically, the book uh, is organized around my learning curve. Like mm-hmm. I had to learn this. And mm-hmm. uh, that, th- or when I say this, I had to learn that it was possible to live in different ways, and that those new other ways of living might allow me to flourish. You know, in, in ways that I hadn't prior to getting ill. Yeah. While I was while I was ill. So uh, the yes, the most powerful forms of healing that I've experienced are, are, are really ones that occur in the context of other people. What I like to think about is is the idea of a field. Mm
2: -hmm. Like
0: when we are with each other, we create resonance. Like we, we resonate to each other. We, you know, and I mean, energetically that is just true. That's we, you know, like, so, okay. So I'll, I'll start from the very basic. So part of what allows us to think that illness is something that we is individualized and that we carry within us is that our culture has developed this idea <clears throat> that was a very important idea for a long time for political economic and legal reasons but that is not necessarily true which is that to be a person means to have a body and I always say to my students, I'm like, well, who, like, when we say I have a body, who is I that Mm -hmm. has a body? Mm -hmm. Like, where's this I that possesses this thing called a body? But more than that, what we call body and we make into an object is probably better described in materialist terms as, uh, transformations of matter and energy localized in time and space
2: mm.
0: we are events <clears throat> we are complex processes and our eventfulness happens in the context of other events that are going on all around us that we are uh entangled with mm-hmm. right that are part of who we are but we have a, again blinders we have a, a social vision in this world, in this country, because it's not true everywhere in the world, right? In many parts of the world and for most of human history, people thought that being part of a group, a clan, a kin, a family, a tribe, that was primary. That was necessary for your going on living. And your your particularity was developed in the context of your connectivity, like that. Mm -hmm. And so traditional forms of healing practice you know, uh, start from that premise of Mm -hmm. we're connected to each other, we're connected to the world, we're connected to the spirits. That's, you know, what what our culture has managed to do, and obviously it has developed a lot of really powerful resources as a result, is to separate us out and to like Mm -hmm. create this fiction that somehow we're not connected to each other. And obviously what we're learning that is not true in lots of ways right now. I mean, COVID is one example, global warming is another right. Mm-hmm. That we are, we, we are not separate islands with no connection to each, you know, so, you know, so that was, you know, the, the main, you know, kind of impetus I think for my healing journey was like learning that in a deeply, not in a conceptual way. Cause I had that as a concept, but in a, um, in an energetic way,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: That, you know, being with others, being with particular kinds of practitioners, you know, doing body work, learning Tai Chi, you know, doing, you know, movement practice at Feldenkrais, my main practice is something called Continuum, you know, all of these kinds of practices, what they do is they create collective value contexts where are we each in while we are all together in the service of desiring something similar though each of us in our own particular ways we create a context in which we can explore and enhance those possibilities I mean and you know many of your viewers probably have this experience like and again COVID has you know made Mm -hmm. this you know more visible to many people like yoga like you can do yoga at home it's great I do it Mm -hmm. you know all the time um but it's really different than doing yoga in a class. Yeah. Right. When there are other people around you, you can yeah. feel it. We all know it.
2: It's a yeah. thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And then when we couldn't do it during the COVID, then we do it online and, you know, and you kind of like, okay, there's someone else there. Okay. You know, the fields are expansive, but it's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. As when we're all there together doing this thing, you know, in the service of our own enhancement, mm-hmm. but, but creating. A resonance with each other that supports and encourages that, right? Yeah. And I think you know that's what our culture is profoundly individualistic. You know, we are taught that you know we're separate from each other. That you know, our you know, especially right now, it's like we're we're all our own brand. You have to like enhance your brand, you know. (laughs) I'm like, well, you know, okay, but that's not how hailing
1: works, you know. Do you think some of the trouble is that we live in a world, and I, I, I kind of read this in a book, but I couldn't quite figure out if they were saying this exactly, is the idea that we know too many people because the internet mm-hmm. and the web has expanded what should have been like a tribe, like back in the day, you know, a tribe was maybe max 200 people or 250 people, and you had like, you know, 10 close people that you really lived life with. But now it's like people have thousands of friends online that they don't really know. But is it skewing our idea of what it looks like to truly have that community? Like, are we fooling ourselves or creating this false sense of community while living independently that we're actually doing more of a disservice? I don't know. Like, I'm I'm just wondering, is it difficult now because we don't have to face people in a physical Um. sense?
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> I think it is the case in the development uh, of human history for for long, like um, like fifty thousand years, or, you know, <clears throat> that the introduction of different kinds of technologies, mm-hmm. like flint arrowheads,
2: <laughs> you, know, in
0: the, you know, or like the like alphabetic writing,
1: uh-huh.
0: or the printing press, or like all of these technologies are prosthetic for how we as living organisms can live in a world, you know, where we have to live with others. Humans are seemingly fundamentally social beings. Language would be another prosthetic like that at some point yeah. we develop. So, you know, so the question is like, you know, at each moment, these kind of technological developments are disrupt. they're, they're disruptive of earlier Mm. ways of being and but they also introduce new possibilities and we're in this moment where these new technologies have just erupted in a very very short period of time and they have transformed people's everyday lives Uh, Mm -hmm. you know the i mean you know i'm old right so you know like to me like the cell phone uh, you know it's not even a cell i mean this is like a computer that I carry yeah. with me <laughs> everywhere. Oh, <clears> and, <throat> and, 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 and this is something that is like everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. you know, that, and, and, you know, and the, so yes, at a certain level, you know, and that was like whole Facebook's whole thing, connectivity, right? You know? Yeah. Well, okay. I, there are absolutely certain things that are made possible by the you know, by digital revolutions, right? But the thing about all of these technologies is they're what we could call pharmacon. And, you know, so the word pharmacon, like pharma, pharma, you know, pharma, we know big pharma, pharma drug. Yeah. Pharmacon is a really interesting word from ancient Greek. It means, it means remedy, like, Mm -hmm. but it also means poison. Mm -hmm. And it also means scapegoat. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So anything that has the power to help you also has the power to hurt you. So we're in this p- phase, I think, of our learning to live with these new technologies as they keep developing with the AI and the, you know, whatever, <clears throat> where it's disrupted other earlier, other different forms of connectivity. And yes, I and and I think there is a lot that is toxic about it because it does give us the sense that we are connected in conceptual ways, but not in embodied ways. But, but that's also not entirely the case. You know I mean? So for example, I think of the black lives matter, like all of the protests after George Floyd, right? Like, or any of the like black lives matter in general, like it's like, it started as a hashtag. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and what it did is allowed people to come together, like whole groups of people to come Mm -hmm. together in physical ways or, Like right now in France, they're having, you know, national strikes about maintaining, you know, the, you know, uh, age of retirement and their social version of social security. Millions of people come together, right? You know, they're mobilized. So, you know, there's also this other thing where people are together Mm -hmm. in very powerful ways, right? So so it's contradictory. You know, I don't, I, I do think that there are absolutely ways that, uh, that these technologies have created more and more isolation at the same time that they seem to be providing ways for us to be connected to each other. And like, I mean, I think of online dating or, you know, <clears throat> all of, I mean, that, you know, it's like people used to, you used, in order, if you wanted to go out with someone before, it's like, you had, you had to like meet them. You had, you had yeah. to be there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, yeah. and, you know, I mean, personally, I mean, you, you can tell something, I can tell something from someone's energy a lot better, you know, when I'm in their presence than when we're like texting online.
1: Right. Right. Uh-huh. You know, yeah.
0: so I think that that's true, but, uh-huh. you know, but also there are other ways. And, and the thing is, and maybe we'll develop new ways of uh-huh. learning how to use these technologies that are are more supportive. our let's just say that are more healing.
1: Like yeah, <laughs> right, right.
0: Now, the balance is like, but right. you know, it is, there's nothing intrinsic about a technology. Technology uh-huh. doesn't have a meaning. It's how we utilize it mm-hmm. that makes the
1: difference. It's kind of like medicine, you know, like again, it's like what we use, there's good that comes out of it. It's just, again, Absolutely. that balance of it, of, of, looking at it too for yourself but i think when we go back to the connection aspect i mean even modern medicine uses the the need for touch like i think of baby babies and infants and how important that touches and kangarooing and that skin to skin contact like we do know there's there's significant value and that humans have to be interconnected um and that connection is so powerful and healing in fact some would probably argue one of the, the most important right um, so what, I I mean, I know we're kind of running out of time here, but what do you feel like someone who is listening to this, who's maybe plagued by symptoms or looking for a cure or, you know, kind of, obviously if they're listening to this, they they know my story of like, I, I'm a big believer that health is within you. You have what it needs. It's learning how to support that. What What encouragement steps, anything that you want to give them that's like, okay, you, you have this we can you can make forward progress in this
0: i well i guess i want to just remind people you're not alone you know in your process it's very easy you know when we're not feeling well or you know when we are uh impeded and going about our lives in the ways that we're habituated to do to to fall back on this sense of isolation which just kind of reinforces the sense that we're disconnected from other people and you know so to do things like one of my main teachers always says uh well I guess it's a version of fake it till you make it but uh (laughs) to, to (laughs) to, to put yourself in the context of something that's like what you would like to have happen to you know that's when I say like when I try to say like we need, to, you know, it's helpful to learn to desire healing, to value healing, It's, it's to tend towards healing, to to tend, etymologically means to stretch, mm-hmm. to stretch yourself out in the direction of what you desire to happen. It doesn't mean that it's gonna make it happen. It's not particularly magical, but I mean, in my experience, until I could desire healing, I had no idea that there were resources available, you know, I, right. I peop- and once I was like really clear to me, like I had a like very specific moment at which I realized either I could continue going through these kinds of crises and near death experiences that I'd had, or I could learn new ways to live. I mean, it was just yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was a mystical experience. I won't go into the whole yeah. thing, but, uh, but, and, Once I had that realization, I was like, "No, I don't want to do that again." Yes, I want to. All of a sudden, all of these teachers that I had never, I would never have considered before, I would not have recognized as being important, suddenly became uh, portals for me to move through the world. So you know, so the the basic thing is, we are always more than we know. There is always the universe has so much more possibility that, that we can realize at any particular moment. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's why, like the desiring of healing is itself such is is a step of healing Mm
2: -hmm. to,
0: you know, to be like, yes, my doctors are, you know, helping me as much as they can. Yes, they're very powerful. But, but I have the desire to enhance my life. At this point, whatever it is, you know, given whatever the limitations are, I have a desire to grow. I have a desire to learn. Yeah. And, you know, once you affirm for yourself the desire to grow, to learn, then you begin to look at the world in different ways and you begin to see things that may have always been there, yeah. but you never really, you know, took into account. Yeah. So, you know, so my basic line to people is we're more than we know. We are more mm-hmm. than we know. There are, we are more intelligent. Than we imagine at this current moment that as living organisms, we are actually brilliant beings Mm -hmm. and, you know, and join with others and, you know, try to bring more of that brilliance into the world, Mm
2: -hmm. you know,
0: whatever your journey is, Um, you know, I mean, and then, you know, to go back to like what I was saying, you know, my teacher said before, death will come for all of us at some point in our lives. The mm-hmm. thing is that when it comes for you be as alive as you possibly can be yeah. whatever that means in whatever circumstances you're in.
1: Yeah. It's so good and and I love the community aspect because I think sometimes too it just shows you that vision and why I'm excited to bring this podcast out of I think we so often can get stuck in these stories and that's what we see and if we don't see something outside it's never really safe enough especially when you're kind of living in that heightened Sympathetic state, you know, to kind of move yourself into. So just talking about it and hearing stories of other people doing it, I think it gives a Mm -hmm. lot of hope and encouragement that, okay, you can do this. You can take those steps in the right direction and every step is a step forward. Um, and yeah, I'm so encouraged that you were on to talk about this. I thank you for sharing your journey and doing the work. Oh, my pleasure. That you can be a story for us to learn from. Where can we learn more about you and the work that you do? I'll make sure and link it all up in the show notes, but I want to hear from you where we can follow you and find more information about you and of course your books.
0: Yeah. So uh, so I have a counseling practice for people who are interested in healing. Uh, oftentimes that means people with chronic and life-threatening illnesses, but it could just be anybody who, who is interested in, in enhancing the quality of their lives and the condition in which they live. And so my practice is called Healing Council, and you can reach me at healingcouncil.com. Um, and it, on that page, I have a contact page you can write to me, and I'm happy to chat with you for 15 minutes or so and see if it's an appropriate, you know, kind of connection for you. Um, I also have written a number of books. Most recently, um, my book is called On Learning to Heal or What Medicine Doesn't Know. And yeah. it's on Amazon, but in all of your favorite book dealers, but it's also on my website, healingcouncil.com. You can order through me or through whoever. Um and yeah, I'm really happy to to share my experience because basically, you know, I'm a teacher. I've been yeah. a professor for 35 years. And one of the things about being a teacher is I love to learn and I love to share what I learned. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I am really happy to talk to people. I'm really happy if people read my story. And if it can be of use to you, then, you know, please be in contact.
1: Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for being on the show. It has been oh, a my pleasure. so good. Thank you. I love Elise and I learn so much every single time I talk to her. She's a gem and honestly, one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Now, you can learn more about this show and get additional information and help and practices over at thelivingwell.com. I've written an entire blog post about taking things to the next level and really healthifying your thoughts and getting unstuck. So make sure you check that out at thelivingwell.com. If you like this podcast, you're going to want to stick around this summer because this summer series is about breaking old stories and building a new one in health so pumped to go through it. It's kind of the work that we talk about, but we don't really do because maybe we don't know how to do it. Well, this summer I'm breaking it down step-by-step and we're going to do it together. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we have lots of great podcasts coming your way. The next podcast is a new month with a new podcast with a new planner topic on how to like yourself, which is coming out next week with my husband, Peyton Sherm. So stay tuned for that, but don't forget to head to The Living Well to learn more about the show, sign up for the weekly fill, and check out other articles that you're going to love. Okay, that's it for now, and I'll see you back here next week.